0: so welcome to regenerative medicine today this is john murphy pleasure to welcome to this podcast dr ronald poor dr poor is the director of the center for military medicine research at the university of pittsburgh dr poor welcome to the regenerative medicine today
1: Good afternoon. It's a pleasure for me to be on the call with you. In general, let me just provide a brief overview of the Center for Military Medicine Research. We were established in 2012 at the University of Pittsburgh, and the main mission of the Center for Military Medicine Research is to facilitate collaborations between University of Pittsburgh faculty with the Department of Defense in putting together research teams that then compete and hopefully get awarded and perform on various medical research projects. We've been very active in this space, again, since 2012, and continue to garner great support from the university with broad-reaching capabilities, not only within the health sciences, but into the School of Engineering and the School of Arts and Sciences.
0: Thank you. So you have some very interesting projects underway, one of which I think involves delivering to the battlefield state-of-the-art medical care. Can you give us a little description of that?
1: The project you're referring to was called Trauma Care in a Rucksack, or TRACER, T-R-A-C-I-R is the acronym. And Trauma Care in a Rucksack is a concept that I've been involved with since 2004 when I was on the active Army Force stationed at Walter Reed and Fort Detrick. And this was a DARPA program called Traumapod that we were trying to do telesurgery far forward on the battlefield, but because of the three, 400 millisecond latency, it was just not feasible. I sort of revisited this topic, if you will, of providing far forward cardiopulmonary resuscitative care on the battlefield using machine learning, artificial intelligence tools and, and robotic interventions we started working on this around 2015. We started informally meeting with Pitt faculty and Carnegie Mellon University faculty. This culminated in us submitting a proposal to the Department of Defense in the early 2018 timeframe. It was accepted and funded. Our start date was May 2019. And what we're doing here at the University of Pittsburgh, where I serve as the PI of that particular project, I'm very fortunate to have as the scientific PI Dr. Michael Pinsky in critical care medicine, who is a well established investigator at the university and also a faculty member of the McGowan Institute. And Michael and I have been working with other notable investigators at Pitt from emergency medicine Dr. Frank Guyette, Lenny Weiss, and David Salcedo. Other key faculty members are from the university, and UPMC are also engaged in a sister project at Carnegie Mellon University called RoboTracer, or the robotic complementary piece to Tracer. That that project is called RoboTrack. And the other Pitt faculty involved are Chris Scortino in the Department of Cardiothoracic Surgery, Kang Kim in the Department of Cardiology here at the University of Pittsburgh, and other colleagues from the Center for Military Medicine Research. So this is really team science, if you will. The problem we're trying to solve is People that are in prolonged field care settings in in the military in austere environments, because of bad weather such as dust storms or rain or or snow, you can't get a casualty evacuated quick enough. So what we're trying to do is put into a backpack the technologies that meets the size, weight, and power demands. That's portable. Every drone in the sky and on the battlefield, and there are many drones in Iraq and Afghanistan now, they could be called in to a casualty, you would, assuming that the operational security is established, land the drone, take out the backpack, apply a sensorized body wrap, which has important signaling capability that interrogates the casualty, helps identify what is wrong with that casualty. And then little mini robots also in the backpack are deployed and they provide critical care interventions such as a needle tracheostomy, a needle thoracostomy, Or cannulating the femoral vein to allow passage of a balloon catheter up to the takeoff of the liver and spleen, inflate the balloon for non compressible torso hemorrhage where essentially someone's bleeding internally. And unlike an extremity bleed where you can put a tourniquet on the extremity, you need to stop the bleeding internally with this kind of balloon catheter intervention. At any rate, the key project right now, again, started at Pitt and Carnegie Mellon, two separate DOD funded projects. And those particular efforts involve, on the pit side, looking at our STAT MediVAC pre-hospital data. And that's where emergency medicine investigators are so important. We do about 13,000 medevacs a year and we capture the pre-hospital data for only those 13,000 patients that are 18 to 50 years of age and they suffered some kind of blunt or penetrating trauma. And then we marry up that data set of pre-hospital trauma patients with their inpatient record, which then allows us to capture from point of injury to discharge a complete picture, if you will, of that casualty, and then overlay all of those 6,000 patients that we've worked on so far with machine learning tools to come up with a predictive algorithm, a clinical decision support tool that can then be utilized on a casualty to help guide you as to what's wrong with a casualty, and what to tell the robot to do. So I'll stop there. That's a mouthful for you all to digest. But I wanted you to be aware that this is a challenging four-year project. We're just coming into the end of year one. And with the pandemic issues and the university closure, we're going to need to delay our work for several months. But we've already started two experiments in the March timeframe to look at new FDA-approved biosensors in Dr. Pinsky's lab to then figure out when we build this sensorized body wrap, what kind of sensors should we put in there aside from heart rate, blood pressure, pulse oximeter
0: sensors? Thank you. I appreciate that. This certainly sounds high tech, but I will note that the military operations are pretty high tech when we're flying drones into the front doors of enemy houses. So this sounds exciting. What will be the improvement in healthcare for the injured battlefield personnel, if this is successful?
1: Well, I think the key is from the military perspective, it's going to be a taking care of patients. This whole project is medical robotics and autonomous systems with artificial intelligence. So if you have a battle buddy next to the casualty who is not a medic or a healthcare provider, you could have this type of capability support that battle buddy in a way where we're now telling them what's wrong with the casualty. And even if you are a healthcare provider, such as a combat medic, it's nice to know that what you're about to do to the casualty, sticking needles in or having the robot do that, you're doing it with the understanding that this is truly what's wrong with the casualty. A lot of times there's quite a bit of variability among the competency of people and how well-trained they are. And so having this kind of standardized approach to combat trauma, casualty care is gonna be critical. I think it's also important to note, John, that the civilian applications are equally important. As you recall from the Korean War, the military medical evacuation helicopter was developed. That is now standard of care across all of our military and civilian trauma centers. And just like we see that kind of military to civilian transition, For trauma care in a rucksack, I see great utilization in areas such as nursing homes where you could have not necessarily dealing with trauma, but other non-battle related diseases such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease exacerbations, chest pain evaluation, GI bleed, those sorts of things, which is also indirectly related to the Tracer Project where Dr. Pinsky is the principal investigator on NIH funding on a variety of R01 grants, looking at the non-trauma patient. So when you put the whole package together here at Pitt, looking at trauma and non-trauma, and when you look at the civilian applications, imagine that if we have a baseline understanding of what the physiology is of someone in a nursing home, and you apply this clinical decision support tool on top of that individual, when they look just not quite right in an elderly person, they're not eating as much, they're not talking as much, they're not engaging, not sure if I should send this individual to the emergency room or have them see a doctor right now. If we have this kind of capability in these various settings, it can be an important tool to augment the care of that individual. And whether you're in the nursing home in Pittsburgh or in the rural parts of the country, in rural central Pennsylvania, in the middle of winter with a blizzard going on and someone sick, again, having these kinds of tools that could potentially be utilized in remote settings of the country where we have critical access hospitals open to take care of rural America, I think it's going to be important when those individuals come to the ER where there is no trauma surgeon or or even a surgeon at that point, may just be a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, or an emergency medicine doc, but having these kinds of tools in rural America or in nursing homes, for example, really convey, I hope for the listener, a sense for how trauma care in a rucksack is more encompassing beyond the military need on the battlefield.
0: I commend you and your team for the vision and wish you success. Now, I know the center has other projects, but other projects can you highlight for
1: Yeah, thanks, John. I'm very fortunate in working with so many talented clinician scientists at the University of Pittsburgh and University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. We have done a lot of work in the last eight years that we have been established at Pitt in working, for example, in the area of traumatic brain injury, working with David Oconquo and Walt Schneider and Anthony Contos and others. We have really developed important tools to assess concussion far forward on the battlefield. Walt Schneider has done an amazing job looking at three Tesla MRI machines and developing a phantom that allows you to take an image from one manufacturer of a three Tesla MRI machine, such as Philips or Siemens or GE. Those MRI scanners each have their own unique signal. And what Walt has done is come up with a way to take a signal from three different manufacturers and allow you to register them with one another in such a way that you can compare studies from those three machines much more accurately than just looking at the pictures on a computer screen. It's a very important development that now had this phantom installed in VA hospitals and some DOD hospitals. So it is now DOD funding coming to pit with real products and solutions getting into the hands of our hospitals, working with industry. We really much adopt at the Center for Military Medicine Research this whole concept of a triple helix. where We look at industry, academia, and government, and what Walt and David and Anthony have done and with TBI has been, I think, extremely commendable. We also work closely with regenerative medicine. We're very grateful working with Dr. Bill Wagner, Dr. Steve Badalak, Peter Rubin, on a variety of projects. We're regular members and speakers at the McGowan retreat. We value the regenerative medicine work that comes from the great leadership of Rocky Tuan, who left Pitt a couple of years ago to become president of the Chinese University of Hong Kong. But under Rocky's leadership with Dr. Wagner and others at McGowan, we had a 10-year funded effort with the Armed Forces Institute of Regenerative Medicine that involved many Pitt faculty and had, I think, great success. As a result of the strong work that the McGowan Institute has done with the DOD, it's a real privilege for me to be a part of another research project where Dr. Steve Badalak and Dr. Peter Rubin are co-investigators, co-PIs, on a project looking at volumetric muscle loss, leveraging the extracellular matrix works that Steve and Peter had done. In an earlier clinical trial, they've been funded to look at a clinical trial That's more involved looking at a variety of extracellular matrix materials with embedded antibiotics and layering up, if you will, through tissue engineering, skeletal muscle to take care of skeletal muscle deformities in not only military but civilian subjects that we're recruiting into this particular trial. The final example I'll leave you with is one where we're working with the Muscular Research Lab, again, looking at human performance. I serve as the Chief Medical Officer for the Neuromuscular Research Lab under Dr. Brad Nindel's leadership. It's a privilege to be working with Dr. Nindel, who's also a colonel with the U.S. Army Reserves and prior military, where we're looking at how to improve the performance of non-injured service members, looking at areas such as transcranial magnetic stimulation, where we apply energy to the scalp in hopes of stimulating brain and improving cognitive resilience as well as looking at injured soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines on the battlefield, and developing an exoskeleton with industry through a small business innovative research project with a local Pittsburgh spinoff company called Humatech. There are three key examples of regenerative med, TBI, and human performance that highlight all the great work going on at the university and, and the whole concept of strategic partnerships within our university and other universities across the country.
0: Dr. Poor Patties, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your exciting work that's going to aid the military as well as civilian population. We congratulate you and your colleagues on the success today and wish you well as you proceed in your endeavors. We thank the McGowan Institute for Ingenitive Medicine for sponsoring this podcast series. Until we meet again, thank you for listening.